Hi, and welcome to Authorised, the podcast where writers speak. My name is Kevin Hillier, and today the man who's going to speak is Tony Dell. I'll tell you more about him in just a moment, but my thanks to our podcast partners who make this happen each and every time that you hear an episode of this podcast. It's thanks to our good friends at CSCG. Now, if you're doing your tax, you're looking at your superannuation, you're looking at your financial planning for the future, then you should be picking up the phone and dialing double nine seven four eight triple three and talking to the team at CSCG. And they are a team. They work together. They're terrific people. You can jump on the website and have a look at uh, the services they offer, the people you'll be dealing with, and uh, what they can do for you. And that uh, website, cscg.com.au. Give them a call, double nine seven four eight triple three. They'd love to have a chat with you about your financial situation. Very much enjoyed this chat that I had with Tony Dell. Tony Dell is a man who's done something that I always wanted to do as a kid, and that was represent Australia at Test Cricket. Opened the bowling for Australia uh, in a very memorable Test Series in uh, in 1971. Uh, had a terrific uh, Sheffield Shield career, had an international cricket career. And, of course, also the other thing that he did was he represented his country in a totally different area, in an area that not any other cricketer had done before, and that is, uh, of course, in the Vietnam War, the only test cricketer to fight in the Vietnam War. Now, the scars of that were uh, something that he brought home with him and something that is uh, very much talked about in the book. The book is called And Bring the Darkness Home, the Tony Dell story. Uh, Greg Milan is the, uh, the author who's written it with Tony, uh, and uh, the book is available through John Reed Books and Booktopia. But let's get to his story. It's a fascinating one. Uh, it fortunately has a happy ending. I'm pleased to say that. Uh, but there are some harrowing moments in there and uh, some stories to tell. So uh, I'd like to introduce you to Tony Dell. What did you want to What did you want to achieve with writing this book in terms of what you wanted to get out of it for people to, to take away? Well, see, I didn't actually write it. Yeah, no. Um, it came about um, when I was um, at Lords in um, in 2018, uh, first day of Pakistan versus versus England, and uh, I got friendly with some of the staff at the uh, at the MCC, and uh, they organised for me to do a um, a tea time interview with with Jonathan Agnew on um, BBC Test Match Special. Uh, this. Uh, British Sky journalist Greg Milam, from uh, who works um, out of California, um, heard it. He's a bit of a cricket buff. Yeah. He made contact with me and said, "Listen, I, I heard this. I think there's a book there. Um, can I write one?" And I said, "Go for it." So, I mean, I I just sent him a whole heap of names of people to talk to, including you know Greg and Ian Chapel and blokes I went to school with and. Uh, Sort of sent him some pictures and newspaper cuttings and um, emails. Sally, my partner, and I were, um, were back in um, in the UK in 2019 for um, some defence-oriented stuff. Um, he flew over from California and sort of spent two or three days with us and chatted and and then just came up with this book um, last year. He he just said to me, um, finally, I think it's early this year, um, I've got a publisher and um, we're going to print. And I said, oh, can I read it? And um, <laughs> he, he said, no. <laughs> so, I mean, I never, ever saw it until um, until it was printed. So what did, you, asked, what did you get out of it when you read it then? Well, um I asked the publisher to send me a, a PDF of it so I could um, I could have a look at it. And when I got it, I wasn't going to um, to, to read it. I mean, if you 
if um, if you see in the book, you know, before I was diagnosed, I mean, I had um, a big pile of unopened envelopes from the ATO, yep. not going to open them because I knew that there was bad news inside them. And uh, I didn't want the book to be a disappointment, so I wasn't going to read it. And it wasn't <laughs> until I got a copy, an actual book, mailed to me, and I was going to Perth for Sally's birthday in May. I read it on the five-hour um, plane trip from Brisbane to Perth, you know, sort of cover to cover then. And uh, it was an easy read. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, but, you know, for what I do with Stantor for PDS, I mean, the important thing is, you know, it's just this journey on the, um, you know, the, the downside of war, the PTSD affliction, um, and um, and just talking about it, the symptoms, um, the history of PTSD, uh, what it does to you, you know, and the battle to um, sort of try and manage it. And you know, when people ask me about the book, as I'm saying now, um, you know, it's it's a wonderful story about that. And um, by the way, um, there's a bit about me and cricket, so <laughs> um, it's a very good. Um, I think it's. You know, an excellent read. Yeah, I agree. You know, well, let's fill in the dots. So you, you played Sheffield Shield cricket for Queensland. You played cricket for Australia, two tests for Australia, one an Ashes test, in a most memorable Ashes test in Sydney against uh, against the Poms uh, opening the bowling with Dennis Lilly. You went to yep. Vietnam. You're the only test cricketer that uh, that served in Vietnam. You spent two years in there because of the National Service, your number came up and you got conscripted, so you went over there. And you saw some, some pretty gruesome and uh, and harrowing ex- life experiences while you were over there. You came back and you were never quite right after that Vietnam experience, but you didn't know why, and now you do. Yeah, well, the experiences in, um, in, in Vietnam, I mean, they, you know, it wasn't Ben Robert Smith stuff. I mean, they mm. weren't, ex- well, I mean, you know, for, you know, as I was then, just a good old bloody English schoolboy, but he, um, who uh, finally got, to become a soldier. I mean, you know, yeah, I they, came they back. They were real bullets, and, and you're, in uh, real, yeah, you're yeah. in real life and death situations. I yeah, mean, that's, yeah, that's... yeah, yeah. But yeah, okay, okay. But um, I mean, it was um, it was harrowing stuff, and um, and I um, even though I came back physically fit, you know, I mean, I was obviously scarred mentally, and um, I mean, <laughs> the the events and the things you see, um, which the brain wasn't actually built for. It, uh, they just sit in there because um, you experience them and um, and you've got to move on because you've got a job to do. And it's, I mean, it's the same with police, fire and ambulances. These days, you know, I mean, you, you just tend to compartmentalise um, what happened and just sits in there and ferments and um, eventually, you know, and depending on the person, you know, comes out and I always say that uh, you know when I when I got on that um, aircraft carrier HMAS Sydney um, as, a, as a nice young boy, um, I came back you know a fairly different person. It started to come out you know I guess noticeably for me when I look back. Uh, I guess on the cricket field and at work, a lot of my my cricket mates um, later on and um, and even Ian and Greg Chapel. They tend to think that I was just born a prick. Um, <laughs> yes. So, which was and, the fast and, bowler's vernacular of the time. <clears throat> to be perfectly honest, it wasn't a bad. It wasn't seen as a bad thing. No, no, no. But when when you abuse umpires for not giving you um, a, an LBW or um, um, a fielder lets the ball go through for a boundary through his leg, 
you know, and a batsman plays a, a, a shit shot that he or someone drops a catch, but he, um, you know, I mean, it, it just comes out. I mean, and say uh, there's a one-man play uh, put together in the UK called Shell Shock. Yeah. Um, and my favourite line out of that is that, you know, we we think there's nothing wrong with us and it's the rest of the world that's out of sync. Yeah. I do stuff without even thinking about it still, you know. I mean, my kids still have to correct me um, every now and then and say, hey, Dad, you know, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Because you ostracised an enormous amount of people in your life as you went through, didn't you? Through not, not, yeah, not, not, not trying to. It was just, yeah, not, it was just yeah, the way you not, were. Not, yeah, not an enormous amount, but people, you know, I think, yeah, ostracised is a good word. I mean, I don't think they hate me, but just you got people offside. You know, the very fact that I became um, what I call an, a workaholic because it's the brain's way of sort of masking the uh, the, the crap that's in there. And uh, in the early days before digital um, advertising production was very hands-on, um, I just worked uh, sort of dawn till dusk and gone dusk and uh, and just became very good at what I did because um, I was so damn meticulous about it all. Yeah. There's a, there's a perception that once you get diagnosed that, you go, the, the light bulb goes off and you go, okay, oh, that's what's wrong with me, fine. And then, then gushing, everything will just come out of you because you've had it bottled up for so long. That's, that's not how it works, is it? It's, it's not something that you get over today, tomorrow or next week. It's something that you, no, no, that you learn no, to live no, with. No, no, I mean, I was diagnosed in 2008 yep. and I still struggle. You know, I just did something about a quarter of an hour ago. Tried to um, unwrap, a, you know, a, a parcel, and um, and it was a little bit hard to open. And um, you know, I mean, I'm the only one in the house. You know, I mean, I just hit the roof and knew that I I shouldn't have. And but you know, I mean, it, these things just uh, just blurt out. The the toll that uh, that that continues to this day. I mean, I think the stat is twenty two servicemen a day in America take their life. In Australia, it's one, which is one too many. It's an ongoing battle. The the, the quest that you've you've sort of taken up of recent years in in establishing Stantor for PTS um, is obviously a noble cause, but it's obviously something that uh, a it touches your heart, but it, it must drain you at times as well because you're constantly dealing with, in many ways, misery. Yeah, but you know, I mean, I get I get a lot of highs out of it. Okay. I mean, the very fact that sort of four of my greatest supporters are one, the Governor General um, David Hurley, two, Sir Angus Houston, who's my patron, three, Mark Binskin, who was a former Chief of Defence, and um, four, um, Kim Beasley, the Governor of West Australia. I mean, they just support me um, unequivocally. And, you know, and, and, and that gives me great heart. I mean, just seven or eight weeks ago, I got an email from the wife of um, a fellow who was doing it really, really, really tough. He'd spent 12 years um, in the, in the RAF and then become, became a, uh, um, a rural policeman in um, South Australia. She was at her wit's end and what to do with him. I mean, and he wouldn't um, sort of own up to his um, his fellow workers because he was scared of being ostracized and um, and looked down upon. And um, I got this email from her and within 36 hours through John Schumann, the uh, writer and singer of I Was Only 19, yeah. 
Brian Codd, a, uh, a Queensland policeman, um, he was talking to one of the top um, mental health professionals um, out of Adelaide. And then, oh, just two or three weeks ago, I got an email from him this time. He just said, thank you, thank you, thank you. You saved my life. Wow. Now, and that's a good feeling. And every now and then I get a phone call or a uh, an email saying, thank you for what you're doing. I mean, it's um, it's making a massive difference. They're, they're the highs. I mean, there's, there's a lot of hard work, but, uh, you know, just that um, al- uh, sort of um, uh, workaholic, I was going to say alcoholic, <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't drink at all. No. Um, the, the workaholic syndrome, you know, I mean, I feel guilty if I'm vegging out for um, an hour or so. I thought I was going to give it away. I mean, I was 76 in August. Sally, my partner, you know, wants me to... Uh, slow down and, and give it away. But, you know, I mean, I've now got a very, very good relationship with um, with Heston Russell, the Afghanistan um, commander, and um, he wants to do stuff with me, you know, and he reckons that, uh, you know, a combination of me and, and him at only 35 years old, you know, could be um, something worthwhile. And he's got a very good connection to the Royal Commission into Suicide. You know, he wants to do some stuff next year. So, you know, I mean, that kept me going. I mean, it's, you know, it's an, another goal in front of me. Yeah. You mentioned you, you turned 76, and sometimes you must you must wonder, A, how you got there and, and you know, sort of why you got there in many ways because there must have been times when you didn't think you were going to get, you know, to, to the ripe old age of 76 and, mm-hmm. and many more to come. Well, I think, you know, if you were born in 1945 and went through, you know, sort of post-war England, you know, I mean, even very 65, 70 seemed um, an unattainable um, target. Yeah. Um, not long before I was diagnosed, I'd sort of gone through my my very, very worst study period and even even a decade or so. I'd lost, you know, my family had moved away. I was estranged from my kids, I'd lost my house, my business premises. Um, I was living in my mum's garage with the... Uh, the backside hanging out of my jeans and something that I planned to do in India with indoor sports centers, you know, was um, knocked on the head because of the GFC. And yep. uh, I don't know. I mean, I think I, that was my lowest ebb. You know, if I think back now, maybe I contemplated Betty topping myself. I don't know. But uh, it wasn't a nice place to be in. And um, I was basically saved by uh, by defense cricket. Yeah. It's a wonderful story, the story of you, and you mentioned you mentioned Sally a couple of times, but that's that's uh, that's one of the really great little stories that comes out of uh, out of the book. I mean, meeting her when she was a teenager, and then forty years later, hooking up again in terms of uh, well, sort 50, of reconnecting. almost fifty, almost fifty years later, 50, yeah, and hooking go. hooking is a is a terrible word. <laughs> you, um, yeah, Tony, but, you know um, what I mean. Yeah, I mean she. <laughs> As as Angus Houston says, um, she is my rock, and um, you know what we've achieved together um, since 2015 when we when we reconnected is is nothing short of a miracle. Yeah, you weren't a pleasant person to to live with. A difficult time to to, to be with uh, with you. And you mentioned you you know lost your temper this morning. What what advice do you give to people, if any, about being in that volatility of a relationship with someone who has PTS? Well, you you have to recognize that you've got a problem. As I said, you know, I mean, that favorite line of mine is you think you're okay and it's the rest of the world that's, um, that's out of sync. 
um, we're now working on a campaign that um, hopefully we're going to launch um, at a dinner in um, in Brisbane at the end of November, which we're entitling Open Up. And, um, you know, I mean, I don't know if you're old enough to remember um, Gough Whitlam's campaign, It's Time, yep. where he got all sorts of celebrities to, um, at the end of the television commercials, to say it's time. Yep. Um, and we're looking at doing something very similar with that, with Open Up, start a conversation, um, because that is the universal way of you know, sort of getting you out of you know the malaise you might be in and talk to family, friends, doctor, teammate, workmate, and recognize that, that there is a problem um, and start talking about it. You know, and then that will lead to you know, sort of other things and possibly talking to a GP who could refer you to uh, a mental health uh, professional. I mean, I always say that you know, the very first psych I ever met in my life was when I was referred to one in um, in 2008, um, 40 years after I came home. But to me, playing first grade cricket and then shield cricket and um, and test cricket, playing first grade rugby, uh, becoming an associate director at work because of you know this um, this workaholic syndrome. Um, um, I was busy 365 days of the year, and I uh, was either training or playing or um, after-match drinks and and just dressing room banter. And um, it, I mean, to me, that saved my life, and it was my therapy. And now my therapy is what I do with Stan Tall. Did you spend a lot of that that sort of time? Before the diagnosis, avoiding talking about any of those things and any of those feelings was that was was that? No, I, I just thought I was jinxed. I just thought this was a whole heap of bad luck that was happening to me. I mean, I got fired from jobs, yep. alienated various people. You know, as I said, you know, I mean, I thought I was okay. I mean, my 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 wife at the time said, "Oh, you're just like your father." Well, my dad. At age 15, parents put him in the Royal Navy. Five years later, um, he's in the middle of World War II, you know, in the Pacific on bloody boats and being attacked by submarines, etc., etc. Which he never <laughs> talked to you about? He ne- never a word. I have no idea where he served, how he served, what he did. Mm. Um, and he never talked about it, but... He just pulled himself up by, you know, the, the straps of his boots and, you know, came good. And he had a very successful life. And like me, um, as he did get up so much older, he mellowed. And, um, and I couldn't see the correlation between he and I until I was diagnosed. And I thought, Jesus Christ. He had PTSD. He battled through it, and you know he could be um, grumpy. And um, and at first, you know, my my wife and my kids were alienated by him. But you know, as he uh, as he got older, um, he just became much more gentle. And you know, my my kids loved him at the end. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I and I hope I do the same with my grandchildren. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you uh, talk about in the book about PTS, uh, you know, robbing you of your memory and and you're not having memories and and uh, everything's sort of foggy. That, I mean, opening the opening the bowling with Dennis Lilly for Australia in an Ashes Test. What are your memories of that now? Nothing. Yeah. 
I mean, Ian and Greg say some lovely things about me. Yes. You know, I mean, they're my memory bank. You know, I mean, I got, you know, quite a few bloody first-class wickets. I've got, you know, you know heaps and heaps of, of, of club wickets. But the only only ones I really remember are the ones I've got pictures of. Um, and um, I can relate to them, you know. You know, as a Victorian, but he knocking Stacky over a couple of times. But he, uh, first ball of a match, mind you. Yep. Um, they're the only ones I really remember. You know, I can sit down with Queensland teammates and, and also Greg. I mean, Greg is, you know, I mean, he's been a, a, a rock to me um, ever since I first got selected you know, back in 1971. Yep. You know, and people say, oh, remember so and so and so and so. And um, I draw an absolute blank. You know, uh, I just don't remember most of Vietnam. Um, I run into. Have you worked? Have t- you worked it out whether that's by choice or whether that's just the way that your your brain is is wired? Mate, I am not smart enough to work that out. Um, <laughs> I I really don't know. Yeah. Um, I do remember some things, and you know, I mean, just that that incident um, on uh, Australia Day during the Tet Offensive. I mean, I've talked to. Um, one of the platoon commanders at the time, and he reminds me of stuff that happened. You know, I mean, that, I guess that was a very, very significant thing. I mean, it was probably um, almost as significant as walking onto the SCG on the first day of a of an ashes test. You know, I mean, I sort of, you know, can uh, relate to, um, you know, to, to, to that feeling, but... Uh, this was the, yeah, this was I mean, the battle you're talking about where you actually had to uh, stay in hiding while while a Vietnam and no no that that was later on that oh, okay. was just before I came home I okay. mean that was that was an ambush patrol that's right um, where you know we got the uh, um, corporal in charge of us got completely lost yeah. and uh, you know we just had to sit buddy because we were nowhere near the ambush position and. Uh, we just had to sit quietly and wait for the sun to come up and then go back to Nui Dat. And then all of a sudden, the, you know, shitloads of bloody, you know, Viet Cong bloody walked through our position. And, uh, you know, we just had to freeze and bloody, and we weren't in any um, sort of um, ambush situation to, to take them on. I mean, we were just higgledy piggledy um, in the scrub. And, one, noise, um, one noise and you were dead virtually. Well, quite possibly, quite possibly. And, um, you know, and as I, I think I say in the book, I mean, I was so bloody shit scared that, uh, and I had the radio and after they'd gone, we, uh, we were supposed to, we, the decision was made to call in, um, um, artillery where we thought they were. And, um, I was so frightened I couldn't talk on the radio. Yeah. So, um, I had to regain some composure, um, eventually and then take over. Uh, it's, I mean, nothing, nothing, you know, there's no Ben Roberts, Billy Smith stuff here. But it's, um, it's just, you know, one person's reaction to abject fear and terrible bloody um, incidents and, you know, seeing bloody um, enemy with bloody their heads and their bodies blown apart. Yeah. Yeah, and and bringing that home from the war, the ripple effect of that across uh, across your life is is the other, I guess, startling thing about uh, about this that that people don't think about. Yeah, you know, I mean, I came home, and it was it was a dirty war, supposedly. You yeah. know, I mean, I 
um, I still look back and um, I was proud of being there and, and doing what we did and uh, and answering the call of, um, you know, um, the government's decision to um, to take part in it. I mean, I don't think enough um, about whether that was really right or really wrong, but um, I got discharged for, what, uh, 10 days after I came home um, and went back to my job. You know, walked up and down Queen Street in um, in Brisbane, you know, just not going to tell anyone where I'd been because of the stigma attached to the war. Yeah. You know, and we were told, don't wear uniforms in public, um, you could get spat on. Yeah. That's, I mean that 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 was the feeling back then in 19, in the late 60s. Fortunately, that uh, that was addressed and has has changed uh, for the better. Thank goodness. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was a um, there was a march through Sydney in 1987. Yeah. You know, sort of. Well, I didn't go to it. You know, I mean, I've never marched um, on Anzac Day. Um, same as I've never been in a cricket dressing room after I gave it away. One of my friends in advertising, who was also in Vietnam, I mean, he went down to Sydney for the march, um, came home, and the next day went up to Mount Cooter and blew his brains out. So, you know, was it a good thing? You know, maybe it was for a lot of people, but for him, um, you know, it was the end of the line. And that's the thing about PTS too. It's different for everyone. It it is not it is not like the flu. It's it's a totally different experience for whoever the, whoever the person is that has it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, you know, and I worked very, very closely with lots and lots of um, psychs and researchers. And Kevin, for every, every 10 people that are afflicted um, in one way or another, I mean, there's, there's 10 different answers to, to manage it. Maybe um, canine therapy, equine therapy, music, art. Yoga, um, I mean, exercise is um, is something that, uh, you know, I'm sort of quite manic about and, you know, and I like to keep fit and um, and that's that's a good thing. You know, I mean, if you've got a fit body, um, there's more chance that your brain's going to be um, in a pretty good place. Yeah. They still don't know. I mean, there's a uh, an organization um, up at the Sunshine Coast, part of the Sunshine Coast University called the Thompson Institute. You know, and they're doing massive stuff on uh, um, um, research in, into the brain and what parts of the brain are um, um, are affected and um, how, you know, I mean, we're still a long way off. I mean, when I first got involved in Stand Tall and awareness of PTSD, generally we were about, um, in Australia, 30% um, successful in, in getting people to manage it. And there's another 30% or so, um, which is, Neither here nor there, but a bit ho hum. Uh, the rest, thirty plus percent, just abject failure to um, to arrest. You know what's in there. That was what ten years ago, and it's no different now. Yeah. You know, which is which is why you know we need. I mean, the government and the authorities need to spend their money more wisely. I mean, they talk about the billions they're spending, but you know what's it doing? We had a conference planned for. 20, uh, 2020, um, bushfires and COVID got in the way of that. Then we were going to um, sort of run it early 21 um, and then just last week. And because of COVID and the impossibility of uh, getting all the people involved together, uh, either virtually or, or live, just became extremely difficult. So, I mean, we've postponed it again. And, I mean, 
that's people from Washington, um, the NYPD, combat stress in the UK, um, people in London, people in Vancouver, people um, in um, in Wellington um, within the New Zealand Defence Force, all talking about transition um, either out of the military or out of um, um, police, ambulance, fire, and suicide. The lady, Dr. Barbara Van Dalen, in uh, in Washington, headed up the uh, uh, the presidential task force into um, suicide in the USA, and that's where you talked about those twenty two a day. Yeah. Dr. Sandy McFarlane out of um, Adelaide, who is a world expert on trauma from natural disasters, and various other people who are absolute experts. I wanted I wanted to get, and I they still are on board sort of 100 plus of the best minds um, in this country, uh, in, in the world, to talk about transition, suicide and models of care and go to the government with irrefutable evidence, this is what you have to do to make life so much better for the 1.5 or so million um, Australians who are suffering from PTSD or mental trauma. Yeah. Let's hope that you, you get the opportunity to do that because uh, the, and the sooner the better. Yep. Okay. Beautiful. Hey, Tony, thanks so much for your time. You're right about the book. It's a, it is a good read. It's, a, it's, it's, an, it's an easy read. Yeah, it's an I easy mean, read, but it's, a, it's, it's, it's got some difficult moments. Yep. Oh, well. Well, look, take care of yourself and thank you so much okay. for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Kev. Thanks, Tony. See ya. Okay, mate. Bye-bye. Well, thanks to Tony for coming on the podcast and telling his story. But if you want to read all the bits and pieces about it, uh, it's there and bring the darkness home, the Tony Dell story. That book available from uh, John Reed Books and Booktopia. And, of course, the organisation that Tony has, uh, has set up and worked so hard for is Stand Tall for PTS. And we talked about PTS with various other people, uh, authors uh, on this podcast series who've suffered PTS through uh, uh, Tony. Of course, it was through, through war. Fair uh, with Keith Banks. It was through his work in the police force, and we've had other areas we've talked about too with uh, childhood abuse. So, PTS is a real thing, and uh, anything you can do to help uh, people, uh, help awareness of it, uh, certainly, uh, and donate to courses like Stand Tall for PTS, please do so. But thanks to Tony Dell for his time, and uh, best of luck to him. Now, CSCG will make sure that your financial future is nice and secure if you give them a call and have a chat to them about where your financial situation is at the moment, what you'd like to do and how they can help you do it. Give them a call on double nine seven four eight triple three, or jump on the website and have a look at uh, everything they have to offer and the people you'll be dealing with, cscg.com.au. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Authorised Podcast. Don't forget to check out our earlier episodes. There's some beauties in there, some terrific authors, some colourful people and some great stories. Uh, So next time I'll talk to you again on the Authorised Podcast. 